Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Forest fires, wildfires, whatever you call them, they've been impacting more people than usual this year and making the news more than ever. In some ways, it's because unlike most years, the smoke from wildfires has been floating down and hanging over major cities in eastern Canada and the United States. Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, New York, Washington, D.C. This is new to us. While residents of Western Canada are used to smoke from wildfires making an appearance, even in the cities of Western Canada, it just doesn't happen in places like Toronto and New York. Now, all the attention to this issue has turned wildfires into a bit of a culture war issue of late, with one side arguing it's all climate change, and the other arguing it's all arson, probably by those eco-terrorists. The truth It's probably a lot more nuanced, and that's what we're going to try and get to today. Hello, I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Full Comment Podcast. Uh, Before we get to our next guest, a reminder to please, pretty please even, hit that subscribe button. Whichever app device you're listening to us on, hit the subscribe button. Leave a review as well. Share with family and friends. They will want to know all about wildfires too. So what is the truth on this front? Is this the worst year ever? Is it all climate change? Is it all eco-terrorists? Is it bad winds? What lessons should we learn? That's what Kenneth Green is going to try and help us with. He is a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute. He's also an author of many, many academic papers and also the book, The Plague of Models, which looks at how computer modeling took over and, well, what would you say, Ken? Um, Manipulated, downgraded scientific research over the years? Disrupted is a good term. Uh, Disrupted, okay. Um, You've been looking at the newscast. You've been seeing the effects of wildfires across the country is someone that's that studied it. Is it the worst year ever? Is it uh, one issue that's driving it? Is it, is it another? What, how do you react when you see this, uh, both the scale of the fires and the fact that some people on either side of the extremes are trying to turn it into a political issue? Well, of course the summer is long from over and therefore it's uh, declaring it the worst year ever or the, or not is, uh, is premature. Uh, it's going to wait to be seen for, what the actual number of fires and extent of fires are. And then, of course, it has to be has to be interpreted in light of the natural variation we see in, in previous uh, previous summers and previous years. Um, but it's certainly a, a notable one. It's, it's, it's not going to be one of the lower ones, uh, at least 
not according to to what I've seen in terms of the historical record for for fire number and extent in the last say twenty years. Um, but uh, it remains to be seen as to whether it'll 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 set a record uh, and in which number which which area just area extent burned, the nature of the fires, the number of the fires. Um, the people endangered. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different parameters to define worse of the year, worse worse on the record. Obviously, there's a, a long way to go before the year is over. It hasn't stopped some people from making declarations that uh, are wild with speculation. Uh, there are differences across the country, though, in, in terms of uh, wildfires and, and how they're fought, how they start, all of that. Do you think, though, the to my point at the beginning, that it's getting as much attention as it does is in part because the smoke came to us. The The smoke came to the, the big smoke, and, and we don't normally get it. Um, other parts of the country are saying, why are you complaining? This happens every year. Well, not to us. Well, I think so. I, I mean, I, I think a large part of it is, is where you live and whether you're accustomed to this sort of thing. Uh, I actually grew up on the West Coast, uh, and um, we took it for granted. I actually I grew up in, in Los Angeles. And it was taken for granted that uh, essentially every summer uh, or late spring and early summer, uh, everything in the vicinity would burst into flames. Um, that's pretty much how things work in Los Angeles, right? It, it rains in the spring, the foliage grows, the foliage dries out in, in late spring, uh, and then summertime comes on, the summer heat comes on, uh, heat, air, concentration, heat, sunlight, and boom, you have fire and people in the vicinity uh, and you have fire. So um, I, I, I think if you're, if you're from one of these biomes or ecosystems where fire is a natural element to you and you grew up in it, then you think, well, it's a little worse than normal uh, or, but, but you're not uh, suddenly it's not changing your worldview asking, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with the entire planet that we're having fires here or we're having smoke here. Uh, I think it does have a lot to do with your your experience and your cultural background, your your geographic background. Let's talk about climate change. Um, what role is climate change playing in this, if any? Well, of course, this is my opinion and my interpretation of, of climate data. But uh, I think, you know, it's been measured that there has been a warming of the climate in the last uh, 50 years, the last 100 years. Uh, and that background level of warming uh, has to be presumed to, to is changing the baseline or the background level at which, you know, it's going to, going to produce uh, the increase in frequency of fires. Uh, that being said, if you actually look at the number of fires over years in Canada uh, and you look at the extent burned in Canada, uh, those trends are not following along with the measured uh, increases in climate overall global average temperature from climate change. And so uh, what I would say is while climate change is, is, a, is a real thing, uh, I think the measurements suggest a milder warming than models do, which is a different story. But uh, simply the correlation between the cli observed climate change and observed changes in fire number and extent, they, they're inversely correlated. The warming's going up, has been increasing, whereas the number of fires generally has been decreasing over time in Canada. So... We've been having fewer fires, less of the country burned. Um, but this year, you know, appears to be going up. We'll wait for the rest of the season. But if trends continue, it's looking like it's a bad year. We have short memories. We, we, we tend to think, oh, well, this is really horrible. It's never been like this. And then you look at the stats and you say, well, actually, it's just like five years ago. Uh, how much of that is at play? 
Well, I think that's a big problem. People do have short memories, as you say, there's, and they're bombarded with information on a regular basis that, that helps to push some of their old memories into obscurity, I think. I think you were commenting earlier on the fact that uh, people are shocked at grocery prices and trying to figure out how to, how to deal with them. I also grew up in recessions and learned how to shop from my mother during recessions. And, and yeah. so having, having actual experience with these things does help, but people have a, have a short attention span. And so... Uh, they don't necessarily remember that these things happened five years or 10 years ago uh, and that it was the norm um, because memories are short and lives are complex. And so uh, old memories get displaced by more recent ones. In, in terms of um, the cause of the fires, it's interesting when to look at different provincial stats and you'll see that in British Columbia, most common one for fires that they have determined how they started is lightning. In Alberta, it's often human-caused, and Alberta's got great database going back to, uh, I think one is 2006 to 2018, and then they've got another chunk of years before that and a separate one. But you go through, and it, it, it's human-caused doesn't mean arson. Um, I was going through, and, and they're, they're very detailed at times in what caused it. And, and the one that caught me, and I thought, oh, I didn't think of that, was hot exhaust from an ATV. It, it could be that. It could be a campfire getting out of control. Uh, that's what I meant when I said earlier, different regions seem to have different reasons for why the wildfires are starting. It, it's not one size fits all across a country like Canada. No, that's right. And I think to use some quasi-scientific terms or some scientific terminology, you have to look at the proximal cause of the fire, the thing that ignites, leads, leads a, a um ignites a fire as opposed to the, the, the more the distal cause, which is what builds up the fuel for the fire. And I think we, there's, there are differences in the, in the proximal causes, like you said. Uh, in Alberta, it could be human cause, but that does not mean arson. It could mean somebody loses a lug nut on their, on their, their truck as they're driving down the highway. It, it kicks off a bunch of sparks and starts a fire. Uh, or, um, uh, or it could be at somebody throws a cigarette butt out the window of a car that causes a fire. Uh, there are any number of things that can trigger the fire once the base uh, of the fuel has been set, right? So we need to, you need to look at the, the two questions of what's the trigger to burst into flames as opposed to what is the cause of the buildup of the fuel. And that the buildup of the fuel problem seems to be more systemic in Canada. The proximal cause of what triggers the, the fuel to burst into flames is more regional. Wind here, lightning there. Human human sparks uh, because of, of interacting with the environment uh, in another place. Uh, yeah, those are going to vary. I want to ask you about that fuel thing in a moment. Just but just to give some stats on the number of wildfires. This according to the federal government, um, you go back to a year like 1989, huge number of fires, eleven thousand they recorded. The year before 1988 was about two thousand. Um, in 2020. There were just a few hundred across the country. Last year, about 7,500. They, they do tend to go up and down with, uh, with no rhyme or reason. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you would find it looking at weather patterns and other things, but uh, the idea that we're on a trajectory one way or another just doesn't hold water when you look at the stats. Well, right, that's right. I think, and, and you know, climate is... Um, we talk about climate change and people have... That, that gives people this idea that there's some calm stately progression to the climate that it's on this, this, they see the lovely charts and graphs showing the climate on a, a progressive change moving upward and on a, on a nice flat slope and everything like smooth slope. 
But the climate <clears throat> is extremely variable year to year, and there are a lot of chaotic elements to it. There are a lot of non-linear, as the scientists would say, elements to it that can't be predicted. Uh, and then, of course, science year, uh, fires in one year will affect the fires in another year. If you, if you have that, that really huge year where you've, you've scorched vast quantities of forests, you're not likely to see the similar kind of that similar kind of fire in the same place right. for several years because no fuel, right? In 1990, 1990 yeah. so I said 19, 1989, uh, actually about, uh, sorry, I said 11,000, just looking at the chart, it's closer to 13, uh, it's a, an odd chart, but the next year, less than 2,000 wildfires, so talk to me about the fuel, because I remember interviewing people about this years ago, and, and they were trying to put some blame for the fuel uh, in the uh, forests of we started with California, but it was a, a concept expanding into Canada uh, that we were having a buildup of fuel due to forest management practices that said, just leave everything wild. Do you put any stock in that? You know, it's, it's actually, um, that's a, it's a great question. It's a great question. And it's one people don't, we don't really ponder too much. I mean, uh, I too have been critical of forest management practices in terms of whether or not they can lead to more or less fires uh, in the past. Um, but but there's a bigger question of of sort of do people accept that 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 the downside of having such massively gorgeous boreal forests that we all love is that forests burst into flames. It's a natural part of the cycle of the ecosystems, and so the question is whether or not it's, it's really less a question of has the government mismanaged it as opposed to should the government have gotten into that the the uh, idea of managing. Uh, these these things in the first place to put themselves at risk of, of people pointing the finger and saying you're getting this wrong. Well, is there a way to get it right? Hard to know. I mean, that that really it's a judgment call because you have to decide. Um, you know, do do we accept? Look, we live live in a uh, we live on a continent that is heavily forested. North America is forests and plains. It's right and and um, the odd city in between. Yeah, with the odd city pup stuck here or there in the other place. But really, I mean, it's going to go through the natural cycles of boom and bust and burn and grow. And um, th there's a limit to how much that can be controlled. Now, I, I do think there's a balance to be struck between actually managing ecosystems around the little spots you talked about, we talked about, of, of development, cities and urban areas. That's a, that is a, a legitimate pro province, I should or, or provenance of government. Um, and, and there can be questions asked whether they're doing that well or not. Uh, but you know, the bigger question of when you have, have continent-wide bursts of, of forest fires, I, I don't really know that, that it's an appropriate frame of reference to say, look, we want the government to have the power to be able to control that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really sure we do. <laughs> but, how, how would you, in an area the, of where you've got forest stretching from the, the far northern reaches of British Columbia down into uh, straight through uh, Washington State and Oregon and down into California. And, and you've got the same thing in the Great Lakes Basin around, um, uh, you know, the unpopulated areas of, uh, of, of central Canada or central uh, North America. Well, it's going to sound unsatisfying to people who are either, either you know, pro-regulation or anti-regulation, pro-government or anti-government or whatever. But, but uh, there are certain things that are simply beyond the scope of, of sane um, – of sane attempts to control. And I think continent-wide fire uh, is one of those things, which is you figure out how to adapt to it. You figure out how to live with it. You try to figure out how to live around it. 
Um, you try to figure out how to recover from it, but, but the idea that you can control it, and as we've seen with other even larger issues of <coughs> human contagion, the idea that you can control them uh, is the first uh, first mistake. So I, so I think there, there's uh, there's something to be said for the asking questions of are we managing the adaptation, resilience uh, aspects well, but, uh, you know, trying to poke point blame for continent-wide conflagrations, I think, I think is kind of a waste of time. Uh, well, I mean, one reason to try and make sure that we're we're not dealing with such an abundance of forest fires is the fact that it's it's not very good for our health to be breathing this stuff in. I mean, Toronto uh, had the, the the worst air quality of any major city in the world, according to one uh, group out of Switzerland that monitors such things, and uh, those were against uh, up against cities that you actually associate with pollution. Um, so. You know, this is bad for for our lungs. Uh, this is bad for long term health if it continues. So, are there things that that can be done if managing a forest that stretches, you know, either down the the, the back of the Appalachian mountain range or down the the, the, the through the Rockies and and along that spine, if doing that is unreasonable and uh, impossible, what can governments do to to try and manage it because you know as well as i do um bad things happen some people will demand i don't care how conservative uh or or libertarian leaning people are at a certain point they say well somebody's got to do something (laughs) what what if anything can be done that's a good question and again not to overly personalize this i grew up with asthma in california and the smog and the fires and i agree there it's uh the, the the dense levels of smoke are bad for people. It's going to trigger asthma attacks. If not, it's, just, it's not causal, but it will irritate them, irritate uh, asthma in people and, and other respiratory illnesses. Um, no question about that, I think, at least in my mind. Um, but the, the question then is, what do you do about it? And the question then is, if something is affecting my lungs, and, and also I would, I would urge a little caution on saying, well, this is going to cause a lifetime harm. Short-term exposures are different than long-term exposures, so we need to be careful about that. Uh, I, I mean, if it's ongoing, if it was ongoing, yearly yes, basis. if it was ongoing all the time at these levels, you would certainly want greater activity. I think, uh, really, basically advising people at this point uh, in terms of if somebody says, "Well, the government should do something," uh, I'd say weaving this, improving advisory systems that say, "If you're vulnerable, and vulnerable means these people," to make sure people are educated and know that they're going to be particularly vulnerable to, in this case, wood smoke in the air or fire smoke, forest fire smoke in the air, then you should take the following precautions. You should stay indoors, don't exercise outdoors, um, stay in air in climate controlled uh, to the extent you can, climate controlled uh, buildings or facilities, things like that. Um, but, but I mean, beyond going beyond that kind of advisory role, uh, it, this is just not something that governments, uh, um, well, they just can't do much about it, really. It, it's, is, is there, are there practices such as uh, preventative burns or clear cuts that could be used to to try and, and, and help alleviate some of this? Again, this is mostly my, my, my opinion, and I'm not a forester. I, I should give a caveat there. I'm not a forester, have never cut down a tree, uh, so... Um, 
Well, you're, you grew up in California. You're legally not allowed. That's no, I would not have been allowed to grow up. Well, <laughs> besides, I, I was I was living mostly near the, at the bottom end of the Mojave Desert, but so I was cutting down somebody, some neighbor's tree more likely. Uh, but no, you're not really allowed to do a lot of foresting there. Um, but I would say, you know, for with regard to things affecting specific localities um, in Los Angeles, uh, example, they have fire roads. They just cut fire breaks. You would you might want to use clear cuts. To, to create breaks and wind breaks, as we do in the middle of the prairies and everything, you create wind breaks uh, to stop the the flow of, of spread, flowing free flowing of wind. Um, to control fire affecting people in where where they are gathered, sure, setting fires, backfires, control burns, barrier methods, highway highway uh, construction and highway width and things like that actually uh, can can play roles. Um, waterways, you know, routing waterways, things like that. Um, but but it, again, at continent scale, um, I, I don't see that. Uh, I, I don't know that anyone has the knowledge. This was they, a libertarian would say that it's a knowledge problem. Who has the knowledge of what that fire level is supposed to be from year to year? Where it's supposed to be from year to year? Uh, what extent you think should be burned in that year versus what extent you think shouldn't be burned in that year. I, I don't think anybody has the knowledge to actually stick hands on and start managing that. So I, I would say local level, probably there's a good, there's some good reason to think about it nationally, not so much. All right. We'll talk more about who to blame and who people are blaming and whether they're right when it comes to wildfires, when we come back. So Ken, I, We've talked about uh, how governments can deal with it, uh, what you, you know, what's causing wildfires in various places this time of year. What do you say to those people that are convinced that it is, this is all being caused by their pet political issue? What, what do you say to the people that say, this is proof that it's all climate change? Let's start there. Well, I'm a, I'm a deep, deep disbeliever in, in conspiracy theories uh, and also... Um, grandiose pronouncements like that, as assignment of, of blame to multifactorial problems. Uh, I think it's it's kind of a simplistic thing that it's either this or that, that it's either climate change or natural variability, uh, or uh, and you know, or human effect, human human action, or pyromania. I mean, um, it's likely all of the above are involved. Uh, some level of background warming, some level of natural variability in forest cycles. Some uh, and some actual criminality, uh, some government missteps, some industry missteps. Uh, I'm sure there's blame to to go around, but I don't think any one group gets the prize for saying you did this. So you don't believe there's a group of eco terrorists coordinated across the continent in various places, uh, speaking both French, English, and probably Spanish, uh, that are are lighting these forest fires to um, achieve political goals? No. Uh, I have several laws, several anti-conspiracist laws um, that we could talk about at some some length. But no, I, I generally do not believe uh, in conspiracy theories like that for for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, however, which is not to say that I do not think there are some people who are setting fires. Some of the motivations may be ecological; they could be eco terrorists. Some of them could be just run of the mill pyromaniacs, which have always been among us. Um, and there are opportunists that, that that go out and commit crimes. Uh, in the midst of any kind of disasters, whether it's an earthquake, fires, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, there are there are opportunists who will go out and commit their, the crimes that they that they have a, a previously previous desire to to enact. So I'm sure some of that is going on. 
But uh, overarching conspiracy theories, uh, no, I, I don't. I just generally don't believe in them. I don't believe people are smart enough to coordinate them. I believe that thieves uh, do not uh, have honor, and they would rat each other out. The incentives to rat out the other conspirators grow the bigger the conspiracy gets. So, as somebody says, you know, you can keep a secret. Two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. Um, I don't. Think, <laughs> I don't think a hundred people can keep a secret, or a thousand people can keep a secret. So. Uh, so no, I, I don't see broad conspiracies. I see multi-factors, uh, multi-factors. So. Yeah. People keep pointing to the, well, there was a guy arrested. I think it was up by Cold Lake in Alberta and he's been charged with 10 counts. Well, yeah, there's, there's arsonists every year. I remember covering a trial of one guy outside of Ottawa in Eastern Ontario. He was in a rural area. He was a volunteer firefighter. He would go and set wildfires and then show up on the truck to put them out. Sure. I mean, he wanted to be the hero. Sure, there are stories like that. There are also stories of people they see they see a huge fire season. Uh, some some uh, business owner who's on on the red in the big in the red side of the ledger thinks this would be a fine time for his warehouse to go up uh, in flames. And and uh, right, so you have you have uh, some criminality involved where people set their own fires for for nefarious reasons, prosaic reasons, pragmatic reasons, whatever. But um, again, I don't think that defines the noise. It would be it would be. What would be unbelievable was if you could gather enough of those kind of people together uh, and, and get them to work together to, to spread fires simultaneously across, uh, you know, a 4,000 mile, 4, mile expanse of Canadian boreal forests. Um, uh, if, if they were that good at planning, actually, you probably should have made them your government because most governments aren't that good at planning. The uh, the Trudeau government has wasted no time in in using this as a political wedge issue. They have started to demand uh, running an ad demanding that conservative leader Pierre Polyev show his climate plan, and they're using the uh, news footage and headlines of these wildfires as proof. And they are making the def- the definitive statement that this is due to climate change, and they do this on a regular basis. They claim that uh, in British Columbia burning down was due to climate change as, appo- as opposed to uh, what I believe the official report was um, uh, sparks in the, the woods caused by a train. Uh, you know, they, they, they just continually point to, to climate change and then they don't come up with a solution. They say climate change is the problem. They don't have a solution on climate change. They just want to use it for a political issue. You've looked at the IPCC reports as have I, and they even when they raise the issue of extra flooding, extra forest fires, extra storms, they're not definitive on this in, in, in laying blame, are they? No, they're not. Uh, and, and in fact, the deeper you get into the technical side of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's, that's a UN entity that, that is sort of the, the uh, ultimate resource for all things climate change. The deeper you dig into the science of it, the more caveat, heavily nuanced and caveated it is, which is the, the tie between extreme weather of different sorts, extreme uh, changes in rainfall, flooding, drought, fire, hurricanes, tornadoes, etc., um, are all very, very modest in terms of the, the strength of the correlation. Nobody actually knows, uh, no one knows if any one specific set of events is caused by uh, the long-term pattern of of climate change, whether wh- wherever whatever you think that is, um, but yes, unfortunately, we have an unfortunate 
political dynamic now in which people seize upon a um, unpleasant event or an undesired un, un, uh, event, uh, disasters, floods, fires, uh, and just flat out they attribute it to climate change as if it is and move forward to use that to batter their political opponents for over you know, too much regulation, not enough regulation, uh, what have See, you. But e- e- even what you're, you're saying here, that the actual report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change at the UN has low-level confidence. You've got some people in our political discourse now who would just say, well, that proves you're a climate change denier. Uh, yes, but they, they would have said that no matter what you say. If you're not agreeing with every element of the end point of the policy that they want, people call you a denier because it's a Holocaust. It, it, uh, it echoes uh, matters of the Holocaust. It's a, it's a casual and easy blood libel to throw at people. Uh, but really, uh, that's that's really when you disagree with what they want as a public policy. Um, if you uh, if you actually look at what the science uh, look at the publications of the IPCC, they say we, this body of scientists who are assembled to write these reports, assign only low or medium confidence into the idea that there is a relationship between increased fire weather, as they call it, they, they refer to fire weather, uh, and that is a very odd term. Climate change. It's a, yeah, fire weather to me is a, it is an odd term. I agree. So it's, a, it's a, clearly a term of art, but. Um, but if you read their, the words of the, the group themselves in their technical documentation, when they're talking to each other, not to you, the public, and not through policymakers, these are these are this is what what it says. So um, there's not no denying that. So whether we're talking forest fires or a larger issue like climate change, do we need to have more nuanced discussions to get at better outcomes, better policies? Because I. I Standing up and screaming, basically, it's the equivalent of walking around with the, the sign on saying the end is nigh or yelling, we're all going to die. Um, I, I, I think people just tune that out. Well, you know, um, not to be not to be a negative old guy, uh, but, but it, it, I've noticed a, a distinct dwindling of nuance in society's discussion of policy matters ever since I got into the field in the 1990s. Uh, so I would be the first one to say, yes, we need some more nuance on these kind of issues. We need more rigor in our um, in people's understanding of sciences. We need a vast increase in science literacy uh, in, in both uh, the U.S. and Canada, in the, around the world, really, because increasingly policy issues are turning on matters of science. And at the same time, if you want to see trends that are going in the wrong directions – our, de- our dependence in policy on based, based on science is going up. Our actual science literacy is in precipitous freefall and, and going down. Uh, so, yes, we need better discourse, uh, more informed uh, discourse, more nuanced discourse, more real-world-based discourse, uh, and less theoretical and abstract and political. Um, if I had a way to promote that, I'd be promoting it, but instead I write my, my little scribblings and publish them where I can, and we all hope for the best. Well, yeah, I mean, part of it has to be getting away from the models that you wrote about in your book. Um, you know, m- models um, said that we would have uh, a clear Arctic ice, what, 15 years ago? Um, that we wouldn't have snow anymore. Uh, we, we've been making such grand pronouncements that people just I- I- ignore 
what is a serious issue, but maybe it's been oversold to them and overhyped. And so they no longer care because, well, we were all supposed to be dead by now. We were supposed to be baking like it was, uh, uh, you know, Canada was supposed to be like uh, Southern California at this point. Well, yeah, that's, that's a problem. I mean, as I, as, as I refer to some of the models, computer models are, are sweet little lies. They, they, they paint very pretty, very stark, very graphic images of reality uh, that, in fact, have nothing to do uh, with reality. As I try to explain, you know, um, uh, Mickey Mouse is a model of a mouse, but he has remarkably little to do with actual behavior of mice <laughs> and the biology of mice, but, but uh, people would rather watch Mickey than actually watch mice. And so... Uh, so we, we models are a problem. People have fixated on them, and they have allowed their under underlying level of science literacy to decline in favor of the quick hit of looking at the model chart output and going, "Oh my God, I can I can you know I can relate to this." It 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 because humans are visual creatures. They're heavily influenced by that the immediate visual outputs of these of models in a way that they're not of the dry numbers you might give them in a, in an Excel spreadsheet. Or a data table, or the number, a chart that shows the numbers of fire frequency or an extent over time. These things don't motivate them to the way that a big model of that we have the climate that shows this nice steady line turning relative, you're turning from green to yellow to flaming red, and then it's skyrocketing, and the world is bursting into flames. People are moved by these model outputs in a way that they're not moved by data, and that's unfortunate. Well, I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but um, we'll see how the rest of this forest fire season goes. We'll see what it looks like next year. Perhaps this is the year that we we burn all the underbrush, and next year there's next to no fires. What will we blame that on? Climate change or a lack of eco terrorists? I don't know. Uh, Ken Green, thanks so much for the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Remember, you can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Listen through the app. And of course, leave, give us a rating, leave a review, tell your friends about us, email your Aunt May and Whitby. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.